If you're a half inch off on everything, let's say, just a half inch. A big deal. Yeah. That makes, that's like the difference between a Boone and Crockett and, and, and an okay rifle deer. Narrow bucks. You got to watch narrow bucks because not only do you get the narrow buck inside spread credit, but typically narrow bucks will also have short main beams. So I, you know, if I was going for a big scoring deer, I'm looking at point length, main beam, mass, and inside spread in that order. A good rule of thumb is basically to whatever mountain range, whatever country you're hunting, when you get there, or when you're looking at it on your aerial maps or what have you, is try and find the canyons and the, the pockets where the afternoon shade is the most predominant. Hey guys, before we get into this next episode, I want to share a couple things with you. First, I am happy to announce the new daysinthewild.com is finally launched. Everything is in one place, my guide services, the podcasts, access to my blogs, etc. So go check it out, daysinthewild.com. If you've been following the show lately, you know that we've partnered with Bushnell and Primos. The awesome thing about that is that if you use promo code STL02, uh, STL02, you will save 15% on anything they sell. doesn't have to be the stuff that I use. I've been using the Bushnell trail cameras for years. I did a couple of reviews over the years and um, Bushnell always came out on top. They're excellent. And I know you've heard me talk about Primo's calls and how good they are, but I've also been using their ground blinds, and they're awesome. Uh, I don't know if you remember Double Bull Blinds, but that's a Primo's product now, or has been for a while. I also tried out a set of their shooting sticks, and for standing shots or you know, using for clients when we're predator hunting or my kids that need it when we're spot and stalk and have to uh, get in close on javelina or anything like that. It's like a really good tool. I love them. They're quick setup and they're steady. Lastly, do yourself a favor and go check out the lineup of shooting bags, glassing pads, and other accessories that Phoenix Shooting Bags puts out. Go to feedingshootingbags.com, use promo code John Stallone, all one word, and save 20%. Rifle season is upon us, guys. You'll thank me later, I promise. Go check them out. Hey, don't forget to give us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. It helps me keep bringing you guys content for free it definitely helps out our ratings and reach more people so thanks again for taking care of that appreciate it now let's roll into this next episode
Days in the Wild, Big Game Hunting Podcast. I got uh, Jay Scott with me on the line today. And uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about coos deer and scoring them on the hoof. So I'll let you take it from there, man. Well, I think one of the things, John, you know, when it comes down to scoring anything, whether it be, you know, whatever big game animal you're hunting, I think one of the important things is you've got to get as many of those antlers or horns, depending on what you're scoring in your hands as possible and actually put a tape on them and kind of get an understanding of what you're looking at. And I know for me, I have to be accurate because I'm a guide and outfitter and primarily in Mexico for coos deer. And I like to be accurate and, you know, I, I like to be able to tell a client roughly what the deer is going to score, you know, usually within about five inches is what I like to, you know, have my standard deviation at. But, you know, in, in order to do that, you've got to, you know, you've got to put your hands on a lot of antlers. You've got to see a lot of deer on the hoof and, you know, you've got to come up and take your lumps when you've misjudged one and, and, you know, and then when you get one right, it just adds to the volume of uh, info that you have in your brain. And so I think for the people out there, regardless of what they're scoring, if, if you can just literally measure a bunch of antlers, measure a bunch of horns, mm-hmm. you know, keep notes, uh, take pictures, uh, be constantly looking at, 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 if we're talking coos deer, be looking at coos deer on Instagram, you know, going off of people's scores, knowing that sometimes they're not going to be completely accurate, but trying to build kind of a database, if you will, of what you think your scores, but there's nothing like actually getting a tape and accurately scoring a deer and going, wow, you know, I thought his G2s looked like they were six, six and a half inches. They turn out they're only five. And, you know, once you kind of um, do that a little bit, I think it will give you a better understanding of, of, you know, what you're looking at, but there's, you know, certainly some fundamental principles um, that I use uh, in in scoring anything. But, you know, the sp- scoring cooster, I kind of have a little system that I use. And, um, yeah, so, that, I mean, that's kind of probably where we'll dive into today. Sounds good. Yeah, um, I agree with you. It's definitely a um, – you need to have practice. And the best way to do that is, like you said, looking – Looking at as many as you can, getting as many as you, in your hands as you can, because especially like with coos deer, and my one of my guides brought this up the other day. We were talking about this. If you're a half inch off on everything, let's say just a half inch, a big deal. Yeah, that makes that's like the difference between a Boone and Crockett and, and and an okay rifle deer. You know. Yeah, I think I think one of the things too is you have to understand if you're going to kind of get into the game of trying to be accurate with your field judging is you're go- just going to have to realize and get over the fact that you're never always going to be right. Right. Um, right. Some of the best field judges that I know, they're not always right, and you have to be willing to, uh, when you miss one either high or low, you have to be able to learn from that and not let your own ego, you know, supersede what the facts are telling you because the reality is it is what it is when you get it on the ground and, and you're not always going to be right. So you, you know, you, I try and uh, err on the side of, you know, on the smaller side and, you know, if it's a 90, you know, seven inch buck, I try and say, you know, it's a 95 to a hundred. And I say, well, you know, can you get closer? And I say, well, I, you know, I think it's 96, 97, but you know, 95 to a hundred, if you kind of go into it with that, mindset you know a plus or minus five inches you know you're not going to be as disappointed when you get up on a buck and you've told the guy it's 100 and 
you know, you've told them it's 107 and it turns out to be, you know, 105 and five eighths or something. It's funny if you're an eighth over, it's a disappointment. If you're an eighth under, uh, you know, you or your client or your friend is happy. So <laughs> I always try and err on the side, you know, the low side. And, um, if it, if it, if you get up on it, it's a little bit bigger than great. Right. Yeah. I've, I've done that like as a rule of, uh, my, my, as a rule of practice in my, in guiding, I always, uh, try to underscore it or basically, or say that it's, you know, four or five inches, five inches or so, like you said, less than what I think it might be. I, I could see that being, especially guys coming to Mexico because guys are coming to Mexico or they're looking specifically for that hundred or better deer or even better than that. In some cases, you, you know, when you had that type of clientele, you, you got to spend some time learning how to judge them on the hoof, you know? Me personally, I like to try to attract the guy that just wants. I want a mature buck, you know. I, that's I, I've I've kind of geared my my hunting towards that because I don't I don't consider myself a, a a trophy hunter, you know. I mean, do I take some big stuff here and there? Yeah, it happens. So I I always I've always gone with that mindset, and it's definitely helped out. <laughs> so yeah, you, you know, for sure, I think you have to look at field judging for what it is. A lot of times, it gets a little bit misconstrued with you know, someone being an ultra, you know, trophy snob and what have you, from my perspective, it's more of a plan to be as accurate as you possibly can. And that goes to a credibility standpoint, whether it just be with your buddies uh, or, you know, if you have clients or, or, or what have you, you know, you, I always want to be accurate and want to be credible. And so I think that's where people can take probably some of the things they hear today mm-hmm. and apply them and, and make them a better field judging, you know, cooster person where, you know, maybe they didn't think about some of the things that we're going to talk about and hopefully they'll, they'll learn a few tips. And certainly I'm learning every day. This will be, I think my 25th year in Mexico. And, and it's always wow. great to get out there and, and see a lot of deer and put your hands on deer and, and uh, love Cooster. I've loved them since the first day I saw one. So I'm, I'm excited to be talking about this for sure. Awesome. Well, I guess um, let's jump into it. Let's let's see what your process is. Well, I, I think the main thing that, that guys have to understand is when you break down deer, in my perception of how this all works is point length is everything. Um, much like elk, point length is everything. Uh, when it comes to percentage of score, you know, you've got to have long points in order for a deer to be big. The second most important aspect would be main beam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you get your main beam links and, you know, depending on the size of buck, they're going to run generally anywhere from, you know, about 14 inches to about 18 inches on main beam. And then your mass is your third percentage of score in relation to uh, what's most important for a big deer. And then spread is the last. Thing. And you hear people talk so much about spread, and I think that's, you know, comes from a mule deer background. Right. A lot of the Western hunters are talking spread, but the reality in elk, deer, or coos deer, and mule deer spread is the very least of your concern uh, when it comes to scoring the deer. Like I said, point length is everything. Just like on elk, you've got to have long points uh, in order for a deer to score really good. And you've got to have as many points as possible. So most cooster bucks, you know, are what we call a three by three. Um, and, you know, normally those, uh, 
you know, Midwest whitetail hunters or Eastern hunters are going to call that an eight point. Right. So when you hear a coos deer hunter say a three by three, uh, you guys in the Midwest, basically what that is, is your eight point. And what we'll call a four by four is, is basically, uh, your 10 point. Right. And, um, point links, everything. So, you, you know, you start out with your eye guards and you, you know, you just go right on down the line from your G1, G2, G3. And if you're fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, a G4, you know, or five or six, G5s, G6, you know, as many points as you can get. Uh, a lot of times if you have a deer with an extra point, say that's, you know, an extra G2 or an extra G3 or points between the G2 and G3, you know, you can pick up four or five inches gross, mm-hmm. four, five, six inches, and even bigger sometimes gross. And that means a lot. So, you know, through a classic eight point or what I would call a three by three is kind of your normal general configuration of a coos deer. And it's pretty rare to get bucks that are, you know, four by fours. You have to get those older deer and, you know, just the perfect genetics. A lot of deer will always be a three by three. They'll never, they'll never actually be uh, a four by four. So it all comes down to point length. And if you're talking about, I'll, I'll just give you an example here. So 90 inch buck, you know, you're looking at G1s that are say an inch, G2s that are six inches, a G3 that's a four inch. So you've got 11 inches total of points per on that side. And then, uh, you know, normally a buck of that 90 inch caliber is going to be, have a 15 to 16 inch main beam, 11 to 12 inches of mass per side and inside spread of 12. Mm-hmm. So if you add that up, you basically get, you know, a one inch, a six, four, 16 and a 12. That's 39 uh, uh, per side. You times that by two. That's 78, you add a 12-inch spread, and you've got a 90-inch buck. Right. The kind of the magic number with Cooster, John, is when you kind of get up into that 100-inch or better. And for me, I always try and look for a buck that has 15 inches of point length. So for a buck to be 100, okay. I would say most of the time you are going to have point length. Your point length category needs to be in that 15-inch range. So if I give you an example of a 100-inch buck, it's a 2-inch G1, 7-inch G2, 6-inch G3. That gives you 15 inches right there on points. Mm-hmm. Typically, a buck of, of that nature is going to be somewhere between 16, 17-inch beam, 12 to 13 inches of mass per side. Now, we'll get to mass in a minute, but basically 12 inches of mass is four mass measurements aside. Three inches uh, you know, for each measurement gives you 12 per side. If you add a 13-inch spread to that, so let's just add the numbers again for a 100-inch buck. This is kind of a baseline. Mm-hmm. So I say, you know, are the eye guards 2 inches? Is the G2 7? Are the G3 6? You know, if, if, if so, you're at 15. Then you add a 16-inch main beam. You add a 12 inches of mass. You're at 43 on one side. Obviously, you times that by 2 because there's two, two sides of the antler. Right. Uh, with a 13-inch spread, that puts you right at 99 inches. So that that's a general rule of thumb when I'm looking at, you know, whether someone sends me a picture, if I'm looking in my binoculars and my spotting scope is in order for that buck to be a hundred inches, most of the time it has to have 15 inches of point length. Now, right. obviously there's cases where maybe you have a buck with short points, but it has really big beams and it's really heavy. It's a mature deer. So there's always, 
there's always a scenario that could skew my chart, if you will. Right. But a good rule of thumb to just have in your head is, does it have 15 inches of point length? So when you're looking at a deer, just add up one side. So you go G1, G2, G3. Does it add up to 15? If it doesn't add up to 15, he's going to have to have something extraordinary in order to get that buck over 100 inches, like tons of mass or main beef. Right. So that's, that's a good rule of thumb. I don't know if you have any questions there to poke at that. No, I don't. I mean, the one, one thing I, I would say, and I know you're said you got to look at one side, is obviously make sure he's relatively symmetrical before you, you know, having that as, yeah, as, sure. your, as your litmus paper. And but, I would say, not to cut you off there, but yeah. typically coos deer, and I, I think it's a little different with elk and with mule deer, but typically coos deer, especially when you're talking about a three by three frame, mm -hmm. they're generally pretty dang close. So what you want to look for is count that one side and then do a general check on the other side to say, you know, is it generally the same? You know, if you immediately, if your eye says, well, I just added up the left side and immediately my eye picks up that that G1 on the right side is, you know, an inch and a half or two inches bigger. Well, you know, well, good. I'm a, I'm a plus one or plus one and a half over my 15 that I just came up with on the left side. Right, right. Conversely, if you look over and you see a broken G3, you're like, uh-oh, I'm going to be down in the 12 range or so, 11 or 12, because he just broke three or four inches off of his G3, if that makes sense. Right. Now, real quick, do you notice, like, typically when these bucks are not – your three points when they go over three points they usually end up being like non-typicals that's what i've noticed like you don't see a whole lot of typical in the four by four in the four by four like yeah i mean it's it's rare even in mexico i mean to, to find a, a you know straight four by four typical that's a rare buck it's i would say out of 100 bucks in mexico that get killed that are a straight four by four i would say maybe two or three a year mm -hmm. are four by fours and, you know, a lot of that has to do with genetics and a lot of it has to do with age class. Most of the four by fours that I found, they're older bucks. But like I said, there are a ton of three by threes that will never grow a G4. Right. They just, they're straight clean three by threes. And, you know, a three by three coos in my mind is the classic coos. It's what you think of when you, you know, when you think of a coos deer, you think of a three by three. Mm-hmm. To give you an example of numbers, if you're moving up into that next category, you know, 110 inch buck, I start looking at it needs 18 inches of point length per side. So I look at a, I need a three inch eye guard, I need an eight inch G2, I need a seven inch G3. That puts me at 18 inches of point length. Generally, those 110 inch bucks will have a 17 inch main beam. Generally, they'll have a 13 inch mass per side or better. And generally, they'll be about 14 inches wide. So that puts our numbers at 18, 17, 13. That's 48 on one side times two. That's 96 out of 14-inch spread. That's 110. If anybody's listening and they want my chart, all they have to do is send me an email, uh, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com, and I can email them this whole uh, chart that I have. Oh, nice. And I've had guys even either make flashcards and you know keep them on them or just now with the phones these days. Just keep this chart, and then when you're looking at a buck, you can kind of go down and go, well, if you can just break down the point length first, that kind of gets you in the general range of whether you're looking at a 90, 
you know, 100, 110. Obviously, if you get up over 110 in that 120, 130, it's like, why are you? Why, why are you even care? Why are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start shooting now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's funny. I uh, do have some random thoughts. Um, sorry to be bouncing around no, here, no, but no, some no, random no. thoughts up. Point length is everything. Main beam is second. Now, here's, here's one kind of caveat. In smaller bucks under a hundred inches, mm-hmm. so when we're talking the seventies, eighties, and nineties, the main beam is actually most of the time the highest percentage of score. So, right. in other words, if you have a seventy-five inch buck, because of your point length, because normally seventy-five inch bucks, you know, they have like an inch eye guard and like four inch G twos and like two or three inch G threes. Mm-hmm. The main beam, because the main beams are normally you know, 15 inches or better, all of a sudden your main beam becomes your number one and your highest percentage of score. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So you kind of have to watch that, that there's a kind of a switch right there that under that 100-inch mark, you've got to really watch because the main beam at that point is your highest percentage of score. Next random thought here is in order to have a record book buck, uh, you want to look for the magic number of point lengths. If you can have 18 to 20 inches, if you can get to the 20 inch mark, you're seriously looking at a 110 plus inch deer. G2s are rarely nine inches long. I mean, I've had a few deer that, that push that, you know, nine, 10, even up to 11 inch G2s, but they're extremely rare. Inside spread rarely exceeds 17 inches. Main beams rarely exceed 20 inches. Bucks with eye guards, uh, without eye guards, which we've seen some bucks just genetically don't grow an eye guard. They have to be super big in order to make 110. Right. Because if you if you picture a buck that's like a 110 caliber buck, normally that buck is going to have three inch eye guards per side. Well, if they don't have eye guards, you're, you're a minus six right there before you even start. It's important to have long points for a buck over 100. We talked about that. If a buck or if a point or main beam looks short, it probably is. If a point or main beam has some curve to it, then it's longer than you think. Just like on elk, when you have, you know, eye guards that come down by their nose and then tip way up and have a ton of belly and curve. A lot of times on coos deer, especially big three by threes, like the G2s can kind of tip in and kind of have a curve to them. You're going to gain inches when you have curve. If the point, let's see, for main beams that wrap around and come close together in the front or look for main beams that wrap around together, the the further those beams wrap around, the longer longer those beams are. And I found when a buck is, you know, getting out to his ear type width, um, you know, you're looking at that 14 inch, 14 and a half inch, Mm -hmm. and then the buck wraps around and he comes, let's say, within you know, two inches of touching or three inches of touching, that's almost always a 17-inch plus main beam. Narrow bucks, you've got to watch narrow bucks because not only do you get the narrow buck inside spread credit, but typically narrow bucks will also have short main beams. Mm -hmm. So even if a buck's narrow, but he's looking at you and you're like, man, the main beams almost touch, remember that they're way inside their ears and you're not dealing with a ton of distance when you've got those wide bucks, that, that's when you know you're dealing with a big, big deer is when you've got a wide buck and he, he wraps way around and comes close to touching in the front. That's when you know you're getting those beams that are 
you know, way up there pushing that, you know, 19, almost 20 inches. Yeah. I, I got um, fooled by a really wide buck a couple of years back. I was uh, helping my cousin out and um, he ended up going like 79 inches or something like that. But he had like 16 inch spread. It was really wide, but all his points were, they were short. Yeah. And we were far enough away that I, I should have rechecked them and re, you know, then when we got in close to make the shot, but when I first said, let's go after him, I couldn't tell about mass. I was still, I was using 15s. I didn't have him in a spotting scope, but he was so wide and that wide, I think gets more, more people than anything. Yeah. I mean, it's showy. It's 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 rare to see him. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a characteristic that's pleasing to the eye. And when you, you don't normally see a ton of wide cooster bucks. So when you do see one, Mm -hmm. they're really cool looking. What I would tell you is normally when I see a wide coos deer, their points look short. And if their points look short, they are short. But the wider the buck, the shorter the points look. Mm-hmm. So if you get a wide buck and all of a sudden you're like, wow, his points are long, you're looking at a really good coos deer. Right. A couple more points here. When a buck is facing broadside, look for lots of space between the points. If you get lots of spacing between the G1, the G2, the G3, and then after the G3, a lot of beam and a lot of wrap, your beam is going to be longer. If a point looks long, make sure that they're not light antlered. And when I say light antlered, I mean two things. White antlered, when typically when, when antlers are white, they look bigger to the eye than they actually are. They and up. when they look white, they're skinny. So when they look white, they're going to have skinny points and skinny mass normally. If they're skinny with little mass, then they're probably not as long as you think. If the points, here's another one, if the points carry lots of mass, they will look shorter than they actually are. Some of the biggest bucks we've ever shot, I've misjudged the length because within the point and the main beam, there's so much mass. And I always say that mass hides length. Mm -hmm. The opposite is when points look long and skinny, they're usually not as long because they're skinny. They just look long. Right. Like you get that. You get that a lot with elk. Yeah, that. Yeah, spin, and then that spindly. You know, they look yeah. super, super long. Yeah. Great bucks antlers will look long, real high on their head, real heavy. When you get up in that hundred and ten inch range on coos deer, mm-hmm. there's rarely a buck that's one ten that, with my eye, even as many as I've seen and shot, and you know, whatever. When you see a hundred and ten inch coos deer, they usually pop. The antlers like. It almost doesn't matter how far away they are with a good set of Swarovski 15s. Like, you know this is a big deer, and you almost don't even need to go to the spotting scope. Mm-hmm. There's been a couple of 110-inch bucks that I would tell you that have maybe skewed that, but that's a good rule of thumb. And then extra points and kickers really help the growth score. And I don't... I, you know, obviously a buck nets what he nets, but I usually always talk gross and I never really care about net. I'm, I'm always talking about gross score. That's a proficient. Um, <laughs> yeah. Generally 110 inch bucks will have a pot belly. Uh, they'll appear to have a bigger body. Um, and that's one of the things too, that I talk about in all my field judging stuff, whatever animal it is, is you always, if you get a chance, you want to look at the body size and, you know, early season, October, uh, November and even the early December hunts, you'll a, a lot of times have multiple bucks together in this in the same group, mm-hmm. and you know you want to be able to look at the buck and be like, "Wow, that buck's 
body is half as big as those other bucks. And then you start looking at his antlers and you're like, wow, his antlers look big. And then get them next to another buck, you know, watch them for a little bit. And they should stand out. If they don't stand out, they're probably not as big as you think they are. So, you know, for a buck to be over 100, I want them to stand out. Every, You know, when you get 100-inch-plus bucks, they look pretty big. Um, and if you haven't seen many of them, they look really big. I can't tell you how many Midwest whitetail hunters and Eastern whitetail hunters that, you know, are like, you know, I shoot 170-inch deer, and, and um, I can't believe I'm even coming cooster hunting. And then I show them the first 102-inch buck, and they're like, wow, look how big that thing is. Right. It's because their <laughs> body size compared to the white, the other whitetails that they're looking at, you know, are these cooster are so much smaller body-wise. And so their racks look really big. Yeah, I've gotten that a lot. I've noted being that I hunt all over the country, like I've seen that myself. I'm going to quickly shift to mule deer. Like, so I hunt in South Dakota every year. Their bodies, they're like three. The buck I shot last year was 320 pounds. Like, you know. That's giant. Yeah, you shoot a big desert muley here. What, what are you, 150 maybe, maybe closer to 200, but it's not, Yeah, you know. And so you put the same rack on both of those deer's head, it, you're not, <laughs> it's not going to look the same by any right. means, especially when you got a big swollen neck in the rut and all that other stuff, you know, it looks quite a bit smaller on a, on a big body deer. It's not. So I'm, I'm with you for yeah. sure on that. Um, a couple more things here. Uh, a few discoveries in the Boone and Crockett record book. I kind of went through the book. Uh, top 10 typical bucks had an average main beam length of 20 inches, which is absolutely giant. Mm. And so with those 20-inch beams, that's where you're going to get tons of space between the G1, G2, and then a lot of space between that G2 and G3. When you're looking at a buck head-on, he needs to turn to the side for you. And you want to see, you know, almost like if you were to put uh, your thumb and like you're doing the hang loose sim symbol is much distance between that G2 and G3 as you can and get as much distance and space there. And that's going to be a long main beam. Mm -hmm. The top 10, let's see, conversely, the 10 bucks just making the minimum of 110 had an average main beam length of 17 and 6 eighths. Uh, the top 10 non typical bucks had an average main beam length of 18 and 5. Conversely, 10 bucks just making the minimum of 120 had an average main beam length of 17.7. Okay. Uh, the top 10 typical bucks had an average inside spread of 15 and 3, whereas the top 10 bucks just making the minimum had an inside spread of 15 and an eighth. Top 10 non typical bucks had an average inside spread of 14 and 7, whereas the 10 bucks just making the minimum of 120 had an average spread of 14. Uh, so when you hear, you know, a lot of times you hear guys say, you know, he had a 20-inch spread. It, it's very, very rare. You know, a lot of the, the big spreads you're looking at are, you know, 50, 15 and a half, 16, maybe 17 inches. Mm -hmm. The widest inside spread recorded in Boone and Crockett is 21 inches. Oh, wow. Some anatomical references to look at are from the front corner of the eye. So basically from where the tear duct would be to the tip of the nose is about six inches. From the V in the bottom of the ear to the tip of the ear. So basically from not the full length of the ear, but, but the, where the, the V opening. is, the opening, yep. you're looking at between six and six and a half. Now I've measured a ton of deer and they all kind of range between six and six and a half. Ear width when looking at a deer relaxed generally 15 to 16 inches 
ear width tip to tip when a deer is looking at you alert they're going to pull those ears in a little bit you're looking at 14 14 and a half the top of the ear to the bottom of the ear is between three and 3.25 inches and the tip of the nose to the back of the neck so in other words if you went from the tip went right on by the by the mouth by the eye by the eye socket went uh -huh. right by the ear to the back of the neck is 10 inches so those are kind of some anatomical references uh, for you on coos. But the general rule of thumb is point length is everything, main being the second. So when you're when you're looking at a buck, just remember, count your points. You want to get up to that 15 inches for sure mark. And if you're up in that 18 to 20 inch mark, you're you're probably looking at a 110 type buck. And then you want to have beams. That, that wrap around in the front and come close together in the front. But the thing that can mess you up there is if you have a narrow buck. So if you have that buck that when he's looking at you, he's about where his ears are. So figure 14. Mm -hmm. So it means he's going to go out. He's going to hit that, you know, 14 inch inside spread. And then he's going to come wrapping back in. That's going to get you in that 17, 18 inch uh, main beam length. Right. Now, as far as mass is concerned, do you use the eyeball as like, as your gauge i really don't i really don't um i think you could what i typically do on mass is i just go to my charts because i've scored enough deer mass is one of those things that i generally plug in that 11 to 12 inches aside and if it's a 90 inch buck or smaller i'm going to go with 11 if it's a 90 inch buck or bigger, I'm going to go in that 12 range. Okay. So I, I, all I do is I add up my points, I add 12, then I add my main beam and I've got my one side, I double it and then I add the inside spread. And, and that's how you can get real quick to your score. And the mass as well as with elk uh, and with mule deer is I have mass measurements that I automatically plug into my equation because the mass measurements, if it makes sense, the, the deviation between skinny and heavy mm -hmm. is small. Right. Okay. So I don't want to waste a bunch of time trying to add up, you know, 3.5 and 3.25 and adding all that up. I just want to plug in 12, 14, 16. If I see a buck that's really wooded out and just heavy and I know he's got four inch wraps, Mm -hmm. You know, so you get four inches, you get four mash measurements aside. And if he just looks heavy, heavy, really heavy, then I know he's going to be four, four and four. He's going to be 16 aside. So you, you, your range is from 12 aside to 16 aside. And I'm not saying there's bucks that aren't bigger than 16 inches of mass per side because there are. Yeah, yeah. But I, even if I'm looking at giant deer, I very rarely throw in a number higher than 16. 16 will be my highest mass measurement that I throw in if the buck just looks massive. I just immediately throw in a 16-inch mass uh, measurement, and I'm generally really close. And that's another thing that your eye will pick up. But to be conservative, if you just throw in 12 inches of mass mm -hmm. on any deer that's around that 90, 100-inch mark, it's going to put you close, maybe a little bit under. But it'll be nice when you get up there and, you know, you thought it was a hundred and, you know, two inch deer and he turns out to be a hundred and five inch deer because he actually has, you know, just a hair over 13 inches of mass. 12 is a great number to just use as a general rule of thumb. And remember, 12 is basically three, 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 and three. Mm -hmm. You have four measurements, just figure three inches per wrap, and that gets you the 12. Right, right. 
Now, mass is really cool. To me, I appeal a heavy buck. I love those. Uh, but you have to understand, it's it's the third most wanted when you're talking percentage-wise of a score. So I, you know, if I was going for a big scoring gear, I'm looking at point length, main beam, mass, and inside spread in that order. Makes sense. You know, more more return on your investment. <laughs> <laughs> I love heavy bucks, though. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm a I'm a heavy. I like character. I like. Luckily, coos deer often have all that stuff, you know. But um, well, that's good. That's a lot of good information. I I never really thought of it that way. I'm always trying to figure out mass in my head. I'm like, it's just easier. Yeah, that, that's a huge tip I think for a lot of people, and I get a lot of feedback on that. That if they can just use those those basically 12, 14, and 16 as their plugins. Mm-hmm. And if they get real used to plugging in 12 or 13, kind of in that lower range, you're always surprised when it's a heavier buck. But when we get trail cameras or if we have a chance to really, really study a deer, that's when I'll be like, that buck's heavy. I've had my hands on enough bucks. I know that's a 16. I know that's a 4, 4, and 4. Mm-hmm. You know, four wraps across and 16 aside um, that I'll plug in the 16. But, you know, there's also a caution to always be plugging in, just plugging numbers in. If you're wrong, you're going to be way wrong. Yeah. So that, that's a problem. That's why I try and score each point and double it. If it's a matching three by three, I just say, you know, let me look at the best, you know, best side I can see. Everything looks the same. And I go, okay, two inches, six inches, you know, six inches, and I'm at. 14 so i'm shy of my 15 inch point mark so i'm going eh, he's probably not in that 100 inch range he's below that but i go wow he's got he's really heavy and he's really wide okay that might kick it up a little bit yeah no that's good like that's real good solid information like i never could put it into words like i said for me i always told people said get a bunch of pictures of known you know known deer what what sizes they were dead or alive and just start studying them. That's kind of what I did. I always did that. And I, that's why when I just, I put my gut, you know, my glasses up, I'm like, Oh, that's like a 90 class buck or they're a hundred class yeah. buck, you know, but I never, I never like sat there and said, Oh, you know, like I said, I could do it on a picture of somebody's like, Oh, Hey, look at this uh, trail camera. How big do you think this guy is? And then, you know, then I'll sit there and actually count inches yeah. or whatever. But no, that's a very good, fast way of doing it. I think you could be pretty proficient and make a decision quick if you need to yep. using what you Just remember, saying. a 100-inch buck needs 15 inches of point length. A 110-inch needs 18 inches of point length. And then, you know, just plug in. You know, your spreads are all going to be generally about the same. And, your you know, your mass on a 100-inch buck is going to be in that 12 to 13 inches aside. Uh, your, you know, your mass on a 110 better buck is going to be in that 13 to 14 inches aside. Mm-hmm. And if you just plug in those numbers, it gets, it gets a lot easier to score them quickly. Now, I've been trying on my Instagram to just post up different bucks, regardless of size, you know, big ones, small ones, whatever. Uh, and I think a lot of people get value out of actually scoring some of the, you know, 90, 95, mm-hmm. 100, 102 more than they get the, you know, giant bucks that we've killed you know 120 130 140 because the reality is most people are never going to see those types of bucks and when they see them they're not going to field judge them they're just gonna be like i'm shooting that thing right now exactly so you know if if guys want to get more they can send me an email they can go on my instagram 
and we're kind of playing the guest to score and I always try and I'll post and then let, you know, a bunch of people comment. And then I try and come in with my comments as to whether there's something that strikes me about the deer, whether, you know, make sure you count extra points or this buck looks, you know, to my eye, looks wider or heavier than normal, longer point length X, Y, Z. And then I also try and, you know, measure each point and give my estimation. And the more you can do that, I mean, I'm still, people send me pictures all the time and I try and, you know, give them the best indication that I can. And then they shoot it and they're like, you know, you missed that one, you were two inches high, or you missed that one and you were four inches low or, you know, whatever. And, and you just, if, if, if I'm, I'm kind of a numbers person and wanting to be accurate. And if you can just do that enough times, know that you're going to be wrong a lot, but it's amazing how close you can start getting when you, when you do it a lot. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. I think, uh, I think that's a good, a good system, nice, easy to use. Uh, and you know, without getting super duper technical on, you know, using this to figure out this and that and so on and so forth. I, I, I like it. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm going to start doing it like that too. Just kind of make it plug and play a little bit easier and plug just, and play. It, it, it really helps you kind of narrow down. Um, you know, if, if you don't have any more field judging questions, just hitting on a couple things um, that your listeners might find valuable uh, in looking for deer, especially in these early seasons. Uh, one thing that's really helped me out over the years is realizing that these coos deer are going to spend most of their life in the shady slope of the hill, especially in the afternoon. So afternoon glassing, I'm always going to be glassing into the sun. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not fun. Um, but that's where the deer are. If the sun is at your back in the afternoon, you are not looking on the side of the hill that the deer are on. There, w- there will be some deer, but normally speaking, especially on these early hunts, and even we see it in the rut hunts that we do in, in January in Mexico because mm-hmm. it gets warm down there. It's, you know, cold mornings, uh, they'll be out feeding a lot of times on the southwest or south slopes and even on the west slopes. But as soon as it starts to get warm, they almost always go to seek shade. So what they're normally going to do is they're going to come over onto those north-facing slopes, northeast-facing slopes, east-facing slopes. And a good rule of thumb is basically to whatever mountain range, whatever country you're hunting, when you get there or when you're looking at it on your aerial maps or what have you, is try and find the canyons and the the pockets where the afternoon shade is the most predominant. Mm -hmm. Now, you may have a, a... Ocotillo flat or a Palo Verde flat or a Mesquite flat where there's, you know, it's, there's no contour at all. In that uh, scenario, I'm going to be looking for those thick patches of brush where they can go into brush and basically bed up and be in the shade all day. Right. But most of the places where we hunt coos deer, there's contour. And where there's contour, you've got shade. And so every day, like right here behind my house, I'm looking at this mountain. I know where the shade, and there's no deer on it, but I, I, my eye, I'm so used to train to looking up where is the shade pocket going to be. And I'm so used to knowing that if wherever I'm at, if I can look into the shade, I'm going to find more deer, whether it be bucks, does, both of them, whether it be the rut or early season. But definitely during the early season, those bigger bucks are going to be on the most predominant shade hillsides. They're also going to be where they can have quick access where it's just topping out over a hill, feeding up on a south slope, dropping, you know, 30 yards over, and now they're in the thickest part of the hill. 
the most dense brush, but the shadiest patch of that hill. I get messages all season long from cooster hunters where I tell them, focus on the shade. So even morning glassing glass with the sun at your back, you're going to pick up a lot more deer. But then no matter what, within an hour or so of the sun coming up, start focusing on those shade pockets. Uh, pick apart those pockets, you know, scanning with your binoculars on a tripod. And if you start picking apart the shade pockets, you will find more, more deer. You will find more mature bucks. And if you can glass into the thickest brush, a lot of times that's where your heaviest, thickest, most mature coos uh, deer are going to be. Very good information. Yeah, I always tell people if you're not burning your eyes out in the sun, you're not looking in the right place. I do want to – something just made me think of this. I'm actually going to send you over a couple pictures of this buck, okay? So this buck never gave me a – a frontal view. So when judging from behind or just when you have behind and the side. Now, I know this is a good buck and this is one of those bucks that you're going to see and you're just going to go shoot it. No brainer. But I like this. I, just for my own personal one, if you have a rule of thumb of how you're trying to decipher those lengths out. Yep. Uh, and two... I'm just curious to think what you see what you say how big that deer is. I want to see how close, yes. how close it goes to what I think it is. So what I love about this deer and the pictures that you sent me is the fact that the very last picture is basically a, a ears pinned back and he's going dead away and there's no it's basically washed out around him. You have no context of any other deer and the deer looks really big. Mm-hmm. Then the deer in the middle picture, you can see his ears are still pinned back and um, John, if we what we should do is um, you post them, I post them, we post these up, and we can talk and reference this podcast episode, yeah. Um, so that people can see this deer. But in the middle picture, now I get a little bit of context of the relationship of the main beam from the burr uh, at the base all the way to the tip. I get a, a, a kind of an instinct of the distance between the points, right? And so. Having a side view is good. The only thing that this is lacking is if I had a front-on view. Right. Okay, but the rear view, I see he's got good eye guards. I see the length of his ear compared to the G1s. I see the G2s. The one thing that's jumping out at me is, do you notice that it's a basket? In other words, those G2s don't go straight. They're curved. Remember what we said when there's a curve? They're wavy. They've got some belly. They're going to be longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that jumps out with me that I like from either a front on view or a rear view is I can see that the main beam, especially on the left side, goes out past his ear and wraps back in and comes back in. And I can see the right side. I can't see how much the right side wraps as well. The right, then, I don't think the right wraps as much as the left. Right. It the, looks, left, the left to me looked about two inches longer. And it's got a little like little swoop to it. You think? The um, other thing I can't tell in just these photos is on the right mm-hmm. G three. I can't tell if out at the tip of the main beam if there's almost a little G four starting or a little nub. But it looks like it, a it typical. Does. It looks like okay. it to me too. I think there's like it, a little it, one inch deal right there. Yeah, maybe not scorable. Yeah. So if I'm going to break down this deer, this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to do just looking and and I'm going to first look at the bottom picture where he's kind of going away. And I'm just going to have my left and right here. The left, I'm going to say that's a 3.5. 
uh, the, the left G2 because of the belly and the curve. I'm actually going to say that's a 9. The left G3, I'm going to say that's a 6 because of the curve and because of the fact that it follows the main beam. Mm -hmm. That's another tip, John. A lot of times the G3s can look short because they follow the main beam, but if they parallel the main beam instead of going kind of straight up, they're actually longer because remember we talked about right. Um, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. If it's got a little bit of curve and it parallels the main beam. So I'm going to give them six. So right there, John, just on my point length on the left side, I've only added up the, the left right now. Right. I'm at, I'm at 18 and a half inches. So my instinct on this deer right away perks up and I think this is a big deer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I look at this deer, then I look at the beam and I'm going to say that that left main beam is 18 inches and I'm going to give him 14 inches of mass. Okay. okay? So right there I'm at 50 inches 0.5 on the left side. Okay. Okay. If I didn't even move over to the right side, Mm -hmm. automatically in my brain, if I'm going, I know that he's relatively the same. So he's relatively the same. Quick math is going to tell me on a 50 inch, and that's kind of the magic number for me because I'm always looking for Boone and Crockett deer, mm -hmm. is 50 inches. If I can get to 50 inches on one side and the other side is relatively close, I know that I've got a 12 inch spread at least. Okay, On this deer, obviously it's bigger, yeah. but I'm looking at 112 right there. So that's just what at, goes through. I had him at that's, 111. That's great. Okay. So that's yeah. what goes through my my brain. But I actually think he's probably closer to a 13 inch spread. So right there, if I just doubled both sides, now this is what will get you in trouble. But 50 and a half and 50 and a half, um, that puts you at 101 and at a 13 inch spread. This buck could gross 114. Okay. Then I go. Okay. Let me look at these other photos. Okay, and then I'm confirming my number. So I'm going, okay, three and a half. Can't really see the eye guards in the middle photo. Okay, nine. Maybe if I'm a little high there, maybe I bounce it back down to eight and a half. Look at the G3s. I think they're ever bit of six. I say, well, that one on the left might not, you know, maybe it's five and a half. And that's where I can chisel myself down. I would tell you this buck is probably somewhere between one. 11 and 114 gross. Yeah. That's pretty much where I was at. Adam at 111, 112, but I like 114. You know what? But do you know how this deer, his antlers, now here's the other thing. This is in velvet. Yeah. And what I've learned is velvet skews everything. So then if, if I was hunting this deer and I'm looking and I came up with my eye just quick, I I've got to as high as 114. I might say, well, okay, this is velvet, and I know velvet deer always look bigger. This deer looks big on the hoof. Mm -hmm. If if I was telling Dar, hey, I've got a buck, I would probably be saying to Dar, I've got a 111 to 112 buck. He's velvet, and if I shoot him and he turns out to be 113 and a half, or he turns out to be you know 114 and one or whatever, I'm pretty sure that he's a 111 to 112 when he shoves the velvet type of buck. Yeah. Cool. That's what you've got to get hard antlered pictures of this deer to, to just make sure that everything checks out because velvet can screw you up. They always look bigger in the velvet. But one thing I will tell you is 
when they shed the velvet, sometimes the point leaves actually end up looking longer because of right. the webbing and stuff in velvet. That and this is a pretty know. early. This is a pretty early picture. He probably well, and that's another thing too. I had like um, another thirty days of growing right there. He looks like he's pretty well grown, but you know what I would think this deer could potentially do is just kind of tip out a little bit, you know, and just kind of add a little bit everywhere. This is definitely a deer that I would look at and say, whoever's hunting, wherever you're hunting, this is a deer that needs to be at the top of your list and make this your benchmark and say, you know, if I was hunting in Mexico, this would be a, this would be a benchmark buck in, in Mexico and say, you know, unless we find something bigger, you need to shoot this deer. Right. Right. No, he's a, he's a good buck. I got, I, I wish I had better pictures of us. I have some video and stuff. We'll, we'll do it separate on the podcast, but I'd like you to look at this one. This one buck that I've uh, I hunted for, I don't I don't know if he's still alive now because I haven't had a chance to go down and look for him. But I think I think he's right between one twenty five and one twenty seven. He's impressive. That's an awesome coos deer. Yeah, he's you, impressive. You get any deer that's over, if you get a deer over one fifteen coos, you're looking at an exceptional coos deer. Yeah. I mean, very very. I get super excited when I see those bucks that get into the teens. The teens and bigger are what really get me going. You know, 114, 115, 116 and better. Um, that's when the, they're just totally different looking deer to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Guys, go check out. Jay's got an awesome podcast. Can you believe it'll be six years, Sean, this February? It was my 11th. That I've had this thing going? 11th year, man. It's I, crazy, it's isn't nuts. it? It's me, you, and like two or three other guys that have been doing it for, you know, a substantial amount of time. And now it's like, you know, you look up and every day there's a new podcast starting in, in every in every niche, you know, not just hunting. Yeah. But well, we're super a, blessed to be able to yeah. talk about what we love and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. a great ride. And, and I appreciate you having me on and I want to wish, wish uh, your listeners the best of success and just thanks for thinking of me and I hope uh, any of this information helped guys out there and feel free. If you want to send me a message, I'm happy to send you these notes, article kind of paraphrasing what we just talked about sure. and uh, the charts and what have you. So yeah, absolutely. And I'll put that stuff in the show notes guys and you'll be able to access that and, and, uh, and Jay's podcast as well. He's got a lot of good, uh, who's episodes on there and as well as others. But, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you might be interested in Coos there. So without further ado, thanks, man. Appreciate it. God bless, buddy. Yeah, take it easy.